memories, the glory days. Remember the glory days? I, I can't really brag about glory days. You know, people brag about high school. Um, I can't, Dan Shows and I went to high school together, so he knows how I was in high school, so I can't really lie about it or, or fudge the truth anymore. I'll say, hey, remember when? And he's like, I remember when. So it always brings me back to reality. But many of us like to remember the glory days, right? The days of old, the days when we thought we were something or the days when we remember our lives a little differently than they really were. It's kind of sad, though, when people my age sit around and talk about the glory days, who they used to be and how great things used to be. But sometimes it happens. You especially see it around places like the church softball field or maybe even volleyball on Sunday nights uh, at uh, Capital City Church in the gym. But we all have that tendency, and memories are important, remembering the past. As a matter of fact, memories of the past, things that seem like they happened yesterday, but when we look at the date, we realize that maybe it was 8, 10, 12, 14, even longer years ago. Well, they can be an obstacle or they can be a monument. They can be a stepping stone. They all point to something. They all point towards something. And today we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about monuments of faith. We're going to be talking about stepping stones of faith. And if you have been following along at all over the last few weeks, um, you know that we've taken a long time to get through a, a story that really happened just in a three-day period. Now, this story, there was a long time leading up to it, but we picked up a few weeks ago, about a month ago, with the children of Israel on the banks of the Jordan River. And they camped for three days waiting to cross over. And we know that during this three-day period, they were able to think about some, an obstacle in front of them that seemed to be insurmountable. It was a Jordan River at flood stage, a mile wide, something impossible to cross. On the other side was a land full of people who at some point had been called giants and warriors that were unbeatable. Their generation before them, their parents, their grandparents had been led to the same spot, had come right up to the banks of the Jordan and decided they weren't going to go, that the cost was too much, that the risk was too high. So they wandered around in the wilderness in the desert for a generation until they died. And then the, their kids had the chance to get it right. Their kids had the chance to come back to where their parents, their grandparents were, and they had the opportunity to take steps of faith. Now, to me, this gets my attention because now at 52 years old, uh, my mom and dad are, are um, both alive, both doing well. They're on their way actually from California to visit us today. Can't wait to see them, but I have that generation still very present in my life. I also have my kids very present in my life and even grandkids now. And I realize that it's my responsibility not just to learn from the generation before me, the things they've done well, I stand on their shoulders so that I can see further, maybe reach a little further, but the mistakes perhaps that some of them made to be able to try to correct and not pass on to my kids, but also to leave a legacy for my kids that points toward Jesus and nothing else. And the longer I live, the more I think about that and the more responsibility I feel toward the generation coming behind me. So this was a really significant moment, a moment where a generation of people, we call them the children of Israel, the Jewish people, were able to come back to a spot that their parents and grandparents had been in, but to face it in an entirely different way. They were told to do three things as they camped along the banks of the Jordan River. They were told to focus on Jesus, the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God. They were told to purify or consecrate their hearts, to examine their hearts and make sure there was no thought, action, or attitude displeasing to the Lord. And then they were told that when you walk right up to the water, to the Jordan River, to the flooded 
Jordan River, a mile wide, deep, impossible to pass, that the only way God's going to do something, the only way he's going to show up, the only way he's going to do this miracle is when the priest, the Levitical priest, put their toes in the water to where they stepped out in faith. And we think about this story, and we think about the fact that many times in our lives, we have situations or things that are impossible to face. They seem insurmountable, where we know that God has to show up. Now, I know that for some, maybe what I talk about today is going to seem a little bit um, foreign. It's not going to relate. It's, it's going to seem like a different life than perhaps you live. And that's okay, because I'm talking about the life of faith. I'm talking about the life of a person who's chosen to follow Jesus, who's trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and has put their faith in Jesus and then begins to develop the faith of Jesus. And so as we talk about this, if you're a person who has not, um, you don't have these memories, you don't have these stones, I'm gonna tell you how to to adjust, how to adapt, how to gather these things. But for those of us who, who do, who have times and things in our life that have happened, Things where we know situations where God has done an amazing and mighty work. We need to hang on to those things. We need to remember these things. We need to build a monument. I talked to you about how important it was to choose who you're camping with, to choose the people closest to you in your life. As the children of Israel camped with people for three days, thinking about having to cross the Jordan River, that they had this insurmountable obstacle, and they had people in their lives whispering in their ear, talking about whether or not they were going to stay or they were going to go. Could God? Should God? Will God? And how important it is to have people who are with you, who are building the same kind of monuments that we are. Now, we have taken four weeks, as I mentioned, to talk about something that happened in three days. And today, we're going to pick up with the children of Israel across the Jordan River. They have finally crossed the Jordan River. And after they cross the river, God wants to make sure that they don't forget. He wants to make sure that they remember that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That God's faithful that God knows everything, that he is all-powerful, that he is everywhere, and there's nothing that anyone can face as long as we're walking in God's will, that God will not give us the strength to go through and to see victory. He doesn't want them to forget. I don't want you to forget. I don't want to forget. That's what we're going to talk about today. So let's look together here. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. Now, very significant, very simple, very important. The children of Israel crossed over to the other side of the Jordan River, As they cross over to the other side of the Jordan, Joshua says, hey, take 12 guys, have them go back to the middle of the river where the priests are standing, where the river had been parted, where it dried up, where on one side the waters were piled up in a heap, the other side dry all the way down to the Dead Sea. I want you to send 12 guys, go out and pick up a stone, have them carry the stone from where the ark is in the middle of the river to the other side of the river, and I want you to set up a monument on that side. Have them drop the stones, make a big pile. It's significant, it's important. The men might have asked why, and Joshua would have said something like this. It's important for us to never waste a good crisis. You and I are in the crisis-wasting business, 
when things happen to us that are big, that are scary, that seem insurmountable, God usually gets our full attention for a period of time. And if we're not careful, things go all the way back to the way they used to be. Some of you are familiar with C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was a great Christian thinker, philosopher, theologian, has since passed away. If you're not familiar with him, I encourage you to read some of C.S. Lewis' writings. He writes a short couple of paragraphs about this idea. He writes transparently in a very authentic way, in a way that's uncomfortable for some people because it strikes so close to our own human condition. C.S. Lewis says, my own experience is something like this. I'm progressing along the path of my life in my ordinary, contented, fallen, and godless condition, absorbed in merry meeting with my friends or the morrow or a bit of work that tickles my vanity, when suddenly a stab of abdominal pain that threatens serious disease or a headline in the newspaper that threatens us all with destruction sends this whole pack of cards tumbling down. At first, I'm overwhelmed, and all my little happinesses look like broken toys. Then slowly, reluctantly, bit by bit, I try to bring myself into the frame of mind that I should be in at all times. Now, the cool thing about this is that even though this is a little bit formal as far as the language, he's talking about a situation or situations that you and I often will go through. Bebopping throughout our lives, hanging out with our friends, talking about business, thinking about the fun things we're going to do tomorrow, All of a sudden, we get a stomachache that could be something very serious, life-threatening, or something comes across the news headline, a headline that threatens the, the destruction of humanity. And then God has our attention. Then we need him. Then we turn to him. Then slowly, bit by bit, reluctantly. And he says, and perhaps by God's grace, I succeed And for a day or two, become a creature of consciously dependent on God and drawing its strength from the right resources or sources. But the moment the threat of the stomach pain or of the global destruction or whatever it is, is withdrawn, my whole nature leaps back to the toys. God has had me for but 48 hours. And then only by dint of taking everything else away from me, Let him but sheathe that sword for a moment, and I behave like a puppy. I love this. When the hated bath is over, I shake myself as dry as I can, and I race off to reacquire my comfortable dirtiness, if not in the nearest manure heap, at least in the nearest flower bed. Who can relate to that? As soon as the threat's over, we race off and go back to our lives as quickly as we can. Never waste a good crisis. Because the point of life is first putting our faith in Jesus. And then we develop the faith of Jesus as we live. And we collect monuments of God's faithfulness along the way. I was thinking about the monuments of faithfulness that we see throughout Scripture. Thinking about the monuments of faithfulness that if you have been part of a church or familiar with scripture for any period of time, maybe that you've been privy to. Things that remind me how powerful God is. Things that inform me about God's character and his nature. People who perhaps didn't waste a good crisis, but learned from it and grew from it and became more the people of faith that God wants us to be. 
I was thinking about Noah. Do you guys know the story of Noah? Noah and his wife, a couple kids. God came to Noah, and God said to Noah, and by the way, Noah was a righteous man. He hadn't done anything wrong. God said to Noah, I need you to build a boat. And Noah said, what's a boat? And God said, I'll tell you. And he gave him instructions. And God said, I want your entire life savings to go into this boat. I want you to quit your job and begin working on this boat. I want you and your family to build this boat because it's going to rain. And Noah said, what's rain? And God said, I'm going to show you. Now, Noah had a choice. He could have chosen not to build the boat. He could have chosen to go back to his old way of life. But Noah was faithful. And can you imagine all of the people for years and years and years who walked by watching Noah and his wife and his sons build this boat? The ridicule, the questioning, the insults, and then one day it began to rain. Now me, if I were Noah, perhaps I was standing there or would be standing there on the deck of the boat, looking down at this new thing called rain, watching a flood begin to develop, and maybe I would say, good gracious, God, you actually are going to do it. You really do what you say you were going to do. You really do keep your promises. You really are powerful. Thank you. And then after the whole ordeal was over, looking back on what God did, restarting the entire population, giving the earth a second chance, what do you think that Noah could encounter in his life from that point on? It would have been bigger than that. What do you think the people who later would know Noah and share the campfire stories of God's faithfulness, what do you think they could encounter bigger than that? I was thinking about a story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You guys know about these three guys? These three guys who were faithful, who were living lives that were obedient to God, and that all of a sudden there was an edict that was given where they had to worship the king, a false god, and they met together and they talked wondering what they said together, wondering who influenced who, wondering if they had a skeptic of the three, right? Any three people together at any time, one would say, I don't know, maybe we ought to compromise. One maybe in the middle going, well, I could really go either way. I could see how we should preserve our lives. Then we could live to do more good. And perhaps one say, no, God is faithful. And you remember the stories at that point. My grandparents told me about God's faithfulness what he did in their lives. My parents, the people who I've been around, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We can face this. We can trust God. And so the three of them, perhaps, maybe hand in hand, let's go. They go to the king and they say to the king, and this is a familiar story. It's a, a story of faithfulness. They say, king, we're not gonna do what you want. Well, I'm gonna throw you into the fiery furnace. They say, yeah, we get that. We heard you. And they give a speech. And this speech is one of the pillars, one of the monuments, one of the stones that you and I collect and we put in our own lives. It's a story of God's power and faithfulness. They say, you know, if you throw us into the fire, God's strong enough to deliver us. But he might not. And if he doesn't, that's all right. Because if we die, we still win. So off they went into the fire. Were they happy? Probably not. Were they excited? Eh, probably not. Were they anticipating a miracle? Who knows? But what they did 
was purify their hearts, put their eyes on Jesus, and put their feet literally well, in the fire in this case. The Bible says that when others looked in, they saw four people, not three, standing in the fire. That they came out of the fire unscathed, the fire being so hot that the guard standing around it had died. And they gave glory to God. Huh, what do you know? God saved us. He must have a purpose. What do you think they could face? From that point on, what do you think the friends of theirs learned as they heard the stories of God's faithfulness? I was thinking about Daniel. Remember Daniel? Daniel's best known for, well, there's several things. One is the lion's den. Same story, similar outcome. In the middle of a lion's den, seeing hungry lions coming at him, looking at him like lunch comes out of the lion's den without a scratch. Surprised, perhaps, grateful, of course, telling the story of God's faithfulness. My God's faithful. He's powerful. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. My God knows everything. He controls everything. He is everywhere. It's okay. Over the last few weeks, I've talked to friends about stories in their lives because the monuments in other people's lives are as significant as the ones in ours, sometimes even easier to see than the monuments in our lives. I can see your life much more objectively than I can see my life. I heard stories of God miraculously healing kids that were on the brink of death. God restoring Finances in a situation where they were on the brink of financial disaster. A marriage healed when it looked like there was no other way. A friend described peace on the deathbed of his dad that passed all human understanding. A supernatural peace. The kind of peace that stands guard over our hearts in Christ Jesus. As I'm talking to these friends, I'm collecting these monuments and I'm saying, man, I need these things in my life. I need to build this monument of faith and faithfulness. We get these rocks, we get these stones from the people we camp with, from the people who've gone before us, from the Old Testament, if we're fortunate, from a Christian heritage, from the church that we attend, from the lives that we live. And our faith is supposed to be a current faith and this is where we slip up. Because sometimes we look at our faith as a marker in time. And our Christianity is something that we decided years ago. Maybe you have friends or have talked to somebody who um, thinks this way. Are you a Christian? Oh yes, I walked an aisle when I was seven years old in a church and I signed a card and talked to a counselor. Yeah, I got saved. And so they mark it here and this is a, a monument, it's a stone. And it's a beginning point for all of us because all of us at one point in our lives have to make a decision to follow Jesus. It doesn't just happen. It's something we have to decide. It may have happened to you yesterday or 20 years ago or 40 years ago, but all of us have to decide. But for some people, that monument, that marker is all they have. And they get down to this part of their life and look back and there's no stepping stones along the way. And when asked about their faith, they point to something in the past, a dusty monument, and say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. But being a Christian is about putting our faith in Jesus and then developing the faith 
of Jesus. Our lives should be full of stepping stones all the way back to the point where we decided to trust Christ. Our stones, other stones, stones that come from Scripture, stones that come from the lives of people closest to us, stones that come from my life. What are your stones, your memories of God's faithfulness? Or have you gotten really good at just wasting a good crisis? Well, let's move on. So Joshua called together the 12 men, the 12 men that he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord, your God, in the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the Israelites. This stone is to serve as a sign among you in the future when your children ask you. Can I stop right here? I guess I can since I got the microphone. As I mentioned to you when we started this, this has my attention. When your children ask you, when the generation behind us is asked about us, when my boys are asked about their dad, what's Rick's life all about? What are they saying? What do they see? Because we have to choose. Are we a generation who's going to point people toward faith and faithfulness, or are we going to disillusion the generation coming behind, communicating an empty faith full of dusty monuments and somebody else's story? And God was so concerned that we have lives of faith and faithfulness that, that this monument that's being built was to serve a sign as a sign among you, which is important, a current marker of faith and faithfulness, but also in the future when your kids ask you, what do these stones mean? When they ask you, you tell them how amazing God is. Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a, a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Now, monuments were a pretty common thing back in the Old Testament. Monuments were built in landmarks or as landmarks, literally as people traveled the landscape. Kind of interesting. If you decide you're going to go on a journey across the United States and take back roads, and every so often you want to mark your territory, and you stop and you build something. And so as you look across the United States, you can see your path all across the United States because you've stopped and you've built something. Well, that's kind of how things worked in the Old Testament with the children of Israel, also with Abraham, as we see him even begin his journey of faith. Literally, monuments were built as stepping stones, as fingers pointing both forward to God's future faithfulness and back to his character and nature. And you could literally see these things. So as this monument was being built on the side of the Jordan River, it was common for them. It was a significant spiritual event, but it was for the people it was so that when they faced something next time, they knew the God they served. They had faith. They could trust. They could respond and not react. But it was also so their kids and their children's children could ask you and you can say, I want to tell you one thing about my life. I know that God is faithful. And this is how I know. Friends, we can't do that if all we have is dusty monuments. How current are your monuments? 
how current are your campfire stories? Now, I don't say this to bum you out, to judge you, to make you uncomfortable. I say this because what we talk about from Scripture, this kind of living faith we talk about, it only works if we do it God's way, and people get so frustrated for so much of their life because we want to do it our way and expect God to bless us, and God's like, look, I'm not in the blessing you and your business. I'm not blessing you and your plan. I'm not blessing you and your agenda. Unless it's my agenda, my business, my plan, you step in line with me. I'll unfold blessings you've never imagined, but if you do it your way, you're on your own. And so there's always a choice we make. And so I just take you to the choice as I take myself to the choice and we choose my way, we choose God's way and we find that when we choose God's way, his faithfulness blows our minds. But there takes a moment in time where we have to choose. So we look at this story and we see the children of Israel on the other side and God says, never waste a good crisis. When you face the next crisis, remember Put your eyes on Jesus. Purify your heart. And don't be afraid to put your feet in the water. The words of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. My God can, but if he doesn't, I still win. Ring true in my ears. One of our monuments. One of our promises. Let's look together at these two things that the children of Israel were commemorating or remembering. One of the things that was remembered or commemorated in this monument was their crossing over from an old way of life into a new way of life. Have you crossed over into a new way of life? To this way of life, this way of faithfulness that I'm, that I'm talking about. This, I put my faith in Jesus, now I'm developing the faith of Jesus. I'm walking learning. I'm growing. I'm trusting. Have we left the old way of life? Now, I get it. For some, you constant, you're thinking about it, contemplating. No, I'm not sure. Too risky, too weird, not quite going to go there. For some of us, we've said, oh yeah, I've left the old way of life behind. It's the only way to be. I would never go back. But then there are many who are sort of caught in the middle. Yeah, there's some things about it I like, but there's some things about it that scare me. I think maybe if I keep one foot on the shore and one foot in the water that maybe I'll be happy. But we know logically and experientially that the result of living life with one foot in and one foot out is just pure misery. And what they were remembering is the freedom that comes from leaving the old life behind and saying, I'm going to live for Jesus. The second thing as it reminded Israel of what God had done for them, that he cared for them and took care of them even when they were in the wilderness. That he kept his promises, as he always does, and went before them in victory and in leadership. So, I want to ask you, what are your markers of faith? What are the things in your life that you've experienced that you know God has done? What have you heard or learned from the people that you're camping with? Your campfire stories. What are the times, the excerpts, the pieces, 
of the Old and New Testament that you hang on to and make part of your narrative? What are your stories of faith, of courage, and of a significant life? I've mentioned to you that I'd rather do a funeral than a wedding. And when I do, people usually go, aha, that's kind of funny. Is the truth. Um, I've shared with you why before. I'll share with you why again. I was thinking about it this morning, and I know it sounds really weird, but in a wedding, all a pastor can do is mess it up. That's it. You're doing a wedding. You're there. You're a decoration. You're a styrofoam packing peanut. You put a suit on. You stand there. You have a job. You do it. If anybody knows you're there, you've done something wrong. I, I mean, if I've, I'm doing weddings. I got one coming up next month. I'll do your weddings. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm your pastor. I love you. I'm not saying I don't do it. It's just when a believer dies, I get a whole lot more excited about doing memorials. I did one last week. Just this last week, I did a memorial for, for a Christian, for a believer who passed away. My grandmother just died a few weeks ago, 103 years old. When you die from being 103 years old, what actually kills you, they don't really put as your cause of death. They just put she died from being 103, right? I took part in her memorial, and I had to do it by FaceTime because of some appointments that I had here that I couldn't rearrange. She had 103 years worth of stories told about her for five generations of God's faithfulness. Interesting time when somebody passes away. The things people say about them, the way that we're remembered. Are we going to be part of a long line of faithful markers pointing toward God's power and his strength? That's what I want. That's what God wanted. That's how Joshua led his people. What are your campfire stories? Well, they're finally across. And we're going to continue for the next two weeks in this story, not crossing the Jordan. They're across. We're not going to do that again. But I am going to take them back to the other side. Now, we're going to just immediately, we're going to instantly transport them back. And we're going to go back to the beginning of the story. And next week, we're going to be talking about, well, I'm just going to give you the title of my message. I think you're going to like it. Spies, Lies, and Deception. What God Thinks About Spies, Lies, and Deception in this, we're going to have the plots of murder, prostitution. We're going to have spying. We're going to have some lying. We're going to have some running for your life. We're going to have some hiding in the woods. And we're going to find out what God thinks about all of this. Does the end justify the means? And let me tell you, friends, some of the worst things I've ever done in my life were times or things that I've done when I was right. Let me pray for you. You want to be here next week because we are going to have some fun. Father, thank you so much for the time that we've spent this morning. 